Hello everyone. I'm about to get on a bus to Boston, but not yet. This is Witch Hassle. Let's get to work. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Witch Hassle, a show talking to practitioners and scholars about the work of witchcraft and finding answers to listener questions about all things magic, occult, witchy, and wild-eyed. I'm your host, Cooper Wilhelm, and we have a really big show for you today. Uh, it's mostly going to be taken up by my conversation with Chiron Armand. Chiron Armand uh, pops in to chat about shamanism, spiritual healing, and hoodoo. It was a really, really lovely conversation. But before that, we have a treat in what will be hopefully a fortnightly feature of the show. Astrologer Frank Civilli is going to give a sense of what the astrological weather is going to be for the coming weeks and some good elections for magicians out there looking to make their magic in line with the activities of the cosmos. Here's Frank. Hey Cooper, hey all, I'm Frank Civilli. I'm an astrologer, a witch, a poet, and a diviner based out of Queens, New York. And I'm here to give you some guidance and some elections for working the stars in the weeks ahead. I do Hellenistic and archetypal astrology. I use whole sign houses and I work with the tropical zodiac. It's also worth noting that all of my elections will be from New York City and in Eastern Time. So let's look at the stars. The big event of the next few weeks, and really the year ahead in general, is going to be Jupiter's ingress into Capricorn on Tuesday, December 3rd, where he'll be joining Venus, Saturn, Pluto, and the south node of the Moon. We're coming off a very strong Jupiter year. He's been in Sagittarius, and that's a sign that he rules. You could think of rulership as if Sagittarius is the home or seat of Jupiter as king. When you're in your own home, you can rule freely. Contrary to this past year though, Jupiter's move into Capricorn is going to signal some less than joyful happenings. Jupiter is in his fall in Capricorn. This is one of the least auspicious conditions for a planet to find itself in. It means conflict and futility and impotence. So I don't recommend that you try to do any big Jupiter workings once he makes his ingress on the 3rd, because the effort it takes to get the work done is going to be far out of proportion to the boons you might hope for, if any you actually do end up seeing. What I can say, what I do recommend, is that while Jupiter is still in Sagittarius, you should create yourself a small talisman if you haven't already. This should be a talisman that can buoy you through the personal turmoils you may face in the year ahead. So let's take a look at how to get that done. On Sunday, December 1st, wake up at sunrise, which is about 7.04 a.m. Eastern Time. The sun will be just peeking over the horizon on the ascendant at 8 degrees of Sagittarius. Jupiter will still be in Sagittarius, and the moon will be sextile the sun and ascendant in Aquarius. This is not the greatest Jupiter election of the past year, but for the time we have left, it'll do. And a word to the wise, do not use this for financial workings. Create the ritual how you see fit. If you need some inspiration, some symbols to include might be fire, the Sagittarius glyph, Jupiter and the sun's planetary glyphs, the colors blue or purple, sapphire, juniper, nutmeg, calendula, oak, dirt from banks, churches, or courthouses, 
things in groups of four or ritual actions performed in fours. And you can throw in whatever else you see fit to craft the ritual. Take some physical object that's symbolic or emblematic of some of the easy luck and firehearted adventures you may have had this past year. This is going to serve as your talisman. So perform the rite as you see fit and try to time it such that you're reaching the crux of the work just at sunrise. Once you have your talisman, you can work with it on Thursdays or on Sunday nights, and be sure to feed it and nourish it regularly in a suitably Jupiterian manner. So again, this is that last chance to get some good Jupiter in Sagittarius moxie that you can perform on Sunday, December 1st, 2019 at 7.04 a.m. Eastern. So now I want to move on to one more election that I found for the weeks ahead. This will be for some destruction. It's a Mars working. And with Mars in Scorpio still, he's one of the few planets in good condition that I personally don't see enough people taking advantage of. And perhaps that's my Aries sun, but I do see that as a real shame. Just a word of caution when it comes to Mars work, please be careful not to burn yourself. As always, protection, grounding, and focus is key. I'm going to recommend this working in two parts. This is an election that you can use to work with some of the inferior spirits of Mars, or generally Martian things, beings, or institutions. Do not shoot for the deity himself. This is a work of the sublunar. On Friday, December 6th at 11.46 p.m., you'll find Gemini Ascendant with Mercury and Mars in Scorpio in the third house and the moon in Aries in the eighth house. This is a good time to begin the working. So you want to set up your altar or workspace and mark some official commencement to the working. Drop five stolen coins in a darkened still of water, perhaps, and calm your mind. Then, at 1 a.m., you'll want to begin the working proper. 1 a.m. begins the hour of Mars, and seeing as this is a working with Martian spirits on the night of Mars, that's what you're looking for. I like this chart because the moon is waxing, so it's good for progressive works. I like that the moon is trying the sun, both of which are in fire signs. The luminaries see each other and lend their fire to your work. I'm not going to go over exactly what to do here. If you're familiar with spirit work, you can fill in the blanks and work accordingly. I will say, though, that the spirits seem poised to do some quick and dirty destruction at this time. Wouldn't be surprised if some angry dead show up as well, so do be careful to channel them appropriately and avoid unintended consequences. This is a good election to hurl some of the scorpion's venom at institutions that you really dislike. You know, give the dead and the spirits of Mars somewhere to unleash and target their poison. When you're finished, leave an offering of a donation to a hospital or health-focused charity of your choice. And of course, you'll want to perform a ritual bath and do some divination to keep yourself on course. And that's all I've got for you. So be safe out there. Know you're not alone. You can find me on Instagram at anti.bishop for commentary or questions. And until next time, be well. Thank you so much to Frank for that deeply informative look at the astrology of the weeks ahead. If you want to check out Frank's Instagram, he's at anti.bishop, and his astrological suggestions and analysis will become a regular feature of the show, appearing fortnightly, so look out for that. Very exciting. It seems wonderfully fitting that after Thanksgiving, which if you ignore its legacy of colonial genocide, or at least its association with that legacy, is, you know, a big Jupiterian holiday, because it's ostensibly about bounty and plenty, and it happens on Thursday every year, and Thursday is Jupiter's day. So it seems very fitting that after 
that big Jupiterian moment, uh, Jupiter's going to be going into some kind of retirement or uh, diminished exile. Um, fun. Up next, we have my conversation with Chiron Armand. Uh, Chiron is well-versed in a number of traditions, including hoodoo, kimbanda, voodoo, and we had a lovely conversation about shamanism, healing, and dance, and it was just an absolute joy. Here's my talk with Chiron. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I've been <laughs> following you on Twitter for a while, and I'm a huge fan of the stuff you you say on that platform, which is fun for me because most of Twitter is me getting upset about politics, and now it's like there's also good things on there, which is fun. I also <laughs> upset about politics there. So you are initiated in Kimbanda, Voodoo. You've worked under conjure and root workers in the American South. You are initiated in um, the unnamed path shamanism, I want to understand. So you, you're, you're versed in such a uh, wide array of things. How did this all, like, what was the access point for you at first? Well, I, I'll, correct you. I'll correct you there. I would not say that I've studied under root workers in the South. I studied under people who've studied under root workers in the South, and I always feel the need to really make that correction because there's so much jockeying for authenticity in these in this field so i like to be really explicit like i didn't grow up on my granny's lap with her putting people's names in frying pans like that would have been cool but i didn't yeah um so it's like you know i'm not haitian but yes i am Ungan in haitian voodoo i'm not brazilian but i am uh macumbero in, in kimbanda and i am in, in, in the ending path which i consider to be a shamanic witchcraft tradition and then I have some other weird stuff going on shamanism wise you know it really started with I mean you know do you when you ask where did this all begin do you mean my whole path to begin with or um, this weird doors opening to these connect to these traditions I think really just your your path in general because I feel like that presumably came before you started seeking out these traditions right yeah, and I wouldn't even say I really started seeking them out. I they were really like seeking me. I, I I sought out the unnamed path because I was in college. I had been studying. I, I had been reading a lot of uh, gay archetypal psychology from the nineteen seventies, uh, okay. and I was you know trying to understand sort of understand how queer people were seen in different cultures. Uh, I, you know, I had a tarot deck, I was doing a bit of stuff with trance and herbalism and spell work, but um, somehow I came across uh, the podcast of Eddie Gutierrez, um, the founder and the late founder of The Ending Path, and I was like, oh my god, there's a living tradition of queer men who are, you know, trying some stuff and speak to the unique gifts of people. That's cool. And, you know, that I studied, you know, the unimpact with him for a couple of years. But, and really a, a, a huge door for me was the fact that he himself was studying hoodoo uh, under Cat Ironwood and mm -hmm. had just started his practice, Conjure Doc. And um, when I graduated from college, it was into the recession and I couldn't find a job in Anadines. Uh, and, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
And I remember, like, I had never had, you know, I had given tarot readings to people. And this is what I think that, you know, this is why I get really frustrated when people do not honor the uniqueness and beauty of the tradition known as hoodoo or conjurer root work. This tradition, as far as diagnostic traditions go in America, this is what yeah. we've got. You know, this is what we've got. It's a huge difference between, I don't know, the hierophant is when you feel good sometimes about religious ideas versus yeah. some bitches going at your mom. It's fucking up your, you know, your money. Like, take this unjinxing back. And when we, the dilution makes me livid. So I had never had a reading with someone who was trained to diagnose and prescribe anything. That was a totally new idea. But I was just like, you know, you're my teacher in this other tradition. I think I need your help. And he threw some cards for me and he put on, you know, he deepened his voice a little bit because he was, because <laughs> he was going into his own like root worker mode. I love that man so much. God bless mm -hmm. him. May he rest in power. And, uh, and he threw the cards and he said, you know, you've got to do some uncrossing bass. I had never done anything like that before. And he said, but also you're looking for a job and it's not going to work out because you're supposed to be doing this. I was like, doing like reading cards for people and prescribing. I was like, what? You're stupid. You're crazy. And, Beginning to learn under him, uh, I became connected to the uh, current, you know, it's, it still exists, the uh, readers and root, the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, and I was a part of that group for a while, and that was uh, really the door that connected me to some other people who were connected to some other traditions, and certain things started falling in place and making sense. So, that's really, I'm so glad you bring this up, because I feel like a lot of times when people talk about magic broadly understood right like including like people who like just think crystals make them happy or something like that like all the way to you know solomonic this and that this idea that you would go for like a real diagnosis and for like a practical solution to the problem that you're dealing with i feel like that's something that hoodoo has that a lot of other traditions don't necessarily or at least a lot of people don't seek out necessarily in america well like, I would say that in our in our European derived magical traditions, we don't have it as much. You know, yeah. if we think about Neolithic or Alexandrian, or even you know, I don't know. You know, perhaps we find it a little bit in some of the rec reclaimed Solomonic stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that persons who are engaged in that path often at least have some kind of a sense of, because they're, you're dealing with such heavy artillery, if you're not doing some kind of cleansings and you're just, you know, an ass and you're just an idiot. You know, and obviously, you know, traditions like Vodou and Kimanda, you know, it's, it, it is through the African and American Indian connections that we've retained, I would say, a certain, you know, and this is where I'm going to really fuck myself up, shamanic healing. This is where we retain a certain shamanic healing perspective that we find in the folk in the folk traditions, and obviously, you know, um, I, I, I'm not well versed in you know the Appalachian tradition. I know that you know this is retained in some folk derived European. I just I'm just not that familiar with them, and they're just not as popular right now because everyone wants black things. Okay, so this is really interesting. So, like, when you talk about this idea of, like, shamanic healing, I think a lot of people would not be super familiar with what that really means. Like, they probably have heard the word shaman before, but don't really understand 
a sort of operative definition of that word. How would you sort of define the work of a shaman? What does a shaman do? Well, I would say that we are far more interested in our ideas about what a shaman does versus what a shaman is. And the, what a shaman is is far more important than what a shaman does because as my uh, colleague, Anomalous Lysian would say, the issue of what a shaman is is a human rights issue. Uh, a person who, you know, first of all, the word shaman is very, very difficult and tangential. We're talking about a very specific word. We're talking about the Buryat people of North Asia and a word that they use to describe a certain kind of person, a person who somewhere in their life, usually sometime during their youth, they are plucked out of society because they are murdered by a helping spirit of theirs who... Uh, if they get through this initiatory illness or shaman sickness, then they are somewhat returned to the tribe, but now they are laden with obligations and taboos. Sure, they might have some cool new powers, but they are not so much a human anymore. They are in a different class of persons. And this class of persons that they are part of is actually hugely reliant upon the community for help with a lot of basic tasks. That, so there's that connection between, and in exchange for that help, they are able to help the community be in, you know, right balance and help cure things, et cetera, et cetera. Anthropologists took this word yeah. and applied this word to a certain class of people they find all around the world. So to me, a shaman is not a person necessarily who has trained in shamanic healing practices. I think that that person might be a shamanic practitioner. Uh, even in uh, okay. Korea, they have, you have a shamanist someone who has learned certain techniques and practices to, to be able to, to be able to help. But to me, and a, a shaman is someone who has been murdered, <laughs> who has been murdered by a helping spirit or a deity. And if they make it through what is often a period of years of initiatory illness, also known as shaman sickness, if they are able to heal themselves, then that that person comes in. So to, I have a sort of a personal rubric, and not everyone's going to agree with it, uh, but that to me is what a, a shaman okay. is. Someone who's been, you know, murdered by a spirit and now has these, this sort of role in the world. To me, you know, when it comes to the word shamanic healing, also difficult because I think that a lot of things are shamanic. I, I view the world through a shamanic lens. I think that when someone lights an uncrossing candle in the hoodoo tree, and that's a kind of shamanic healing, whether or not they're a shaman. I think that, you know, shamanic healing to me is working with a broader and vaster knowledge of the connections between things than we usually find either in allopathic medicine or even in folk traditions to bring balance and restore wholeness to individuals, spaces, environments, and family lines. So you... And um, I, I would say like, on, yeah, go ahead, please. Okay. The distinction I'm making, for instance, between like shamanic and folk traditions is, you know, I think that you know, a lot of people might approach folk magic in the sense of, well, I know this plant does this thing. I know basil protects, and that's yeah. great. And basil is a wonderful protector. And to me, a more shamanic perspective is, who is basil? Who is this plant? What perspective does this plant carry? Why is the plant protected? So if, if this plant is protective, and so is angelica root, and so is this other thing, what are 
you know, the, the recognizing a personage in each. Mm. That's really interesting. So when you work with, say, preparing, let's say like a, a cleansing bath or something like that, how much do you feel like, so would it feel like you're not necessarily gathering a, a, a group of ingredients for a purpose, but really working with a, a series of identities or a series of, um, of, of... Absolutely. Okay. And so is there like a, is there like a more communicatory practice in that? Is it sort of, you know, like asking for help Absolutely. or... Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Like... You know, I made a bath earlier, and, you know, each ingredient is, I'm asking how much of you do I put in this? You know, sometimes plants will say, we're cool, but you also really need this other plant. Plants will refer you to other plants. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is hugely a part of it. On your, on your website, you mentioned that you work with helping spirits, though maybe work with might not be the, the best way to phrase it. What is your relationship with, with, with helping spirits, and was... Do you feel like your initiation into help, like having a connection with them, was similar to this idea of being murdered by spirits? Oh yeah, sure, for sure. You know, any initiatory process that you go through is supposed to be a rewiring. You know, when if you initiate into a tradition like Voodoo, you know, as in, you know, if you go to the what the process is known as Kanzo, part of that process is you're being rewired to better channel that energy through you. A lot of, to me, initiatory process is about whatever kind of initiatory process we go through, is about expanding capacity. So, you know, sure, the Loa had shown up for me, you know, over years in my life. You know, I, I dated a guy in college, and he showed me his business card, and I was like, oh, that's Zilli's Veve on it. Like, you know, like little synchronicities, but I was never able to talk with them, like, in a very, very versatile way that now I have that capacity for. Absolutely, you know, the initiations I've been through that have been spirit-induced have been about that spirit killing me to make me something new and something new being something that has a broadened capacity to carry and channel them. Were, were all these initiations that you've undergone, were they ones that you... I feel weird using the same word twice. Is are they ones you initiated? Like did you did you sort of decide I'm going to do this and then you open the door and then something comes through or were they ones where you were minding your own business and then suddenly something decided, "No, no, you're you're part of this now." The latter. Okay. Absolutely the latter. Yeah, you know, there's um, you know, Voodoo was something that was knocking at my door for a long time and then the synchronicities were strong. And I actually had a, um, a, a reading with a mambo, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to get initiated in voodoo, but something, yeah. you know, something weird is happening. I never have the money. Her reading was like, well, you have this other spirit who really is blocking it. And it turned out that that spirit wasn't supposed to be in my life. And once that was resolved, the door, like the floodgates opened for me to enter the, tra the tradition. I think that's usually how it is with initiating into a tradition under someone else's hand, you know, there's a often a choice involved, not all the time, because there are totally stories of people, for instance, needing to initiate into Santeria because of life or death reasons. But there's usually a choice involved. I'm sure people will absolutely, you know, lay prostrate before a spirit or a deity and say, take me or, you know, move something. That wasn't my experience, though. My experience with the 
spirit initiations that I've gone through have been non-consensual. Once you've undergone one of these sorts of initiations that you feel, you know, is, is one that you did not choose and it's sort of been chosen for you in this way, is there ever a sense that you want to try to undo it or go back? Has there ever been a sense of regret or even... I'm big on dying well. I've gone through enough of spirit initiatory stuff to know that if I'm going, if I'm in it, then I just have to die. And that means like cleansing and sleeping a lot and allowing whatever insanity I'm going through mentally to just happen and asking what needs to be done. Like what, what actions do I need to be taking to move through this? What do I need to be let, letting go of? What stories about my identity and ego do I need to let go of? Yeah, so it, it's never like on the other side of it, I'm like, oh shit, I hate my life. I wish I could undo all of that. Like, you know, on the other side of that kind of experience, you're like, thank God I lived. Yeah. Thank God I lived and didn't like, like do something stupid. I guess cumulatively, absolutely. I often am like, oh wow, like not having gone through all of this to begin with would have been great. <laughs> yeah, fair. You So you bring up um, the sort of cleansing and things that would need to happen on a daily basis in that kind of experience. How how important is... I know this is going to sound like a big, stupid, obvious question, but I really want to get, like, your thoughts on it. So I'm just, you know, like, let's start with the big, obvious thing. How important is spiritual cleansing? So hugely important. And I think that, you know, I, I have a theory. And my theory, without trying to necessarily idolize traditional cultures but i think that so much of what we what we see when we're thinking about communal rituals communal grief rituals initiation to adulthood we're jumping over the fire on saint john's day so many of these actions i think are about maintaining this container of community made up of smaller containers of individuals who are accomplishing some task or goal, which is, you know, continuing the energy of the ancestors moving through, you know, this land and moving through us, these gifts of knitting and weaving and music and drumming. And, 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 like, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to limit the energy, our vulnerability to energetic intrusion, you know, because there's weird demons in the underworld and there's weird things in the forest, and there's weird things on the mound, and you know there's all these weird things. And sure, they get in sometimes, and you know, and yeah. Mary doesn't know why her cow isn't producing milk anymore, and the shaman has to remove a blah 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 spirit from the three year old, and like these things, you know, do get through. But there are things in place, whether it's a fairy doctor or a medicine person, to help you know stand guard at that threat of the community. And maintain those things. We don't have any of that. We don't got. We don't have proper funeral rites. We're not living well. We're not dying well. Our dead aren't moving on. We're not jumping over fires and communally cleansing. We're not. We're not doing anything. We're just stagnant and accumulating. So spiritual cleansing is really important. <laughs> right. So so individual personal spiritual cleansing is huge because I think that we are utterly possessed. We are utterly possessed. So the average person, say, who hasn't been, I don't know, 
summoning Baphomet on a regular basis for this and that. Like someone who just sort of is going about their day, riding bicycles and whatever it is that people do on a normal day. I don't know what people Hopefully are like. eating quiche. What was that? Hopefully eating quiche. Yeah, people who are eating quiche and having a lovely time, they're probably still, you would suspect, like deeply embedded with like spiritual gunk or spirits, yes. a mixture of the two. Yeah. Okay, so this yeah, isn't just like a... So, like, this isn't just, like, a when you do something dirty, clean yourself off. It's just being in the world is going to cover you in in stuff. Being in the world and also being as traumatized as we are, we're all ridiculously traumatized. You know, a number of cultures have, you know, practices related to the idea of soul loss, the idea that the, a piece of the human being will break off in a moment of trauma. And oh. say, I can't do this anymore. And we just keep going. You know, and the Quran the Eastern tradition, it's called Susto. You know, various ways of, you find, frankly, I, uh, a good compendium of soul loss, soul retrieval practices really need to be written. Because you find it all around the world. And, you know, where there is a vacuum, the nature abhors it. So something's going to go in you. And, you know, we're not, when I say possessed, I don't mean we're all vomiting and our heads are turning 360 but i just mean that our vulnerability i believe that our vulnerability to intrusive energies is perhaps at an all-time high okay and i'm glad you bring up that idea of nature pouring a vacuum because i think it's it's, it's an important distinction and because i think some people their spiritual practice like I, I i clean myself and my my natural state is that of a of a of a you know positive blessed thing and so if i clean myself i'm good to go but i feel like that is not your stance it's more like you need to clean and then do something on top of that as you move forward is that well absolutely i mean even you know after i do a cleansing bath the first thing i do is i anoint myself with you know some kind of an intentional oil or something to replace that layer you know you know really we're talking about layers here I might be in a, you know, in the word, and, and as, as root work would use the word condition, I might do some divination right now and it might be like, you're in a really good condition. Does it mean I'm a perfect person? No. Does it mean that under the onion layers, there might be entities from past lives I haven't dealt with yet? There might be something that came in when I was four and my mom left me alone and I cried. You know, it doesn't mean that, but it kind of means right now you're fine on the surface in a way like that at least that's how i approach divination we're not going to get all of this done we're talking about peeling these layers back and as we're peeling them back oh sure we might be you know uncovering things under the surface soul loss soul loss that has led to certain kinds of entity intrusion past life issues that might have weird contract associated with them. You are really, really, really committed to cutting out people's parts of lifetime and feeding them to the pyramid, you know? But hopefully, as those things are uncovered and dealt with, what's also being uncovered is your own will and aspects of your own will that you didn't even know you didn't really have access to. Oh, wow. Okay, so like this this idea that this kind of cleansing can help you get at the sort of the root part of you before it is, you know, filtered through the thousand prisms of past lives and trauma and, and, and possession and so for on. For sure. And even, for sure, and even the most basic salt, you know, salt with some water bath that, you know, is that removed the whole thing last week, just haven't felt great since, she's going through a lot, and then you're like, hey, 
Chiron Armand talks a lot about spiritual cleansing. Let me just put some sea salt and water and pour it over myself. Even that is a renewal of will. You know, there was a certain level of, of gunk, of emotional gunk. It's, I'm not saying don't hold space for your friends. But right. I'm just saying like, all of these acts of cleansing and removal of what is not us from the most simple and everybody knows it to the deeper, weird public puzzle-like pieces, all of these are so that there's more you. That is really lovely. So my understanding is you, you help folks a lot with things like issues involving past lives, issues involving ancestral sort of influences. Could you talk a little bit about that? Unless I'm wrong. Then you can just not talk about it because if I'm wrong, that's fine too. Well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, the past life stuff kind of pisses me off only because even I, when I'm doing it for myself or other people, I'm like, God, this is so wacky. But I've done it for so long now that yeah. I'm, I'm so, I, I can't lie to myself. Like, I, 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 I'm so aware of, I, I, I'm so aware of the difference between my imagination and information that I'm receiving. Okay. And, and frankly, past life work is really fun. It's really fun because it's like, here's this other crazy story that at first glance has absolutely nothing to do with your life. Like we're talking Ireland in 1637, you're on a hill with a woman and she pours milk on your head and who knows, like, what the fuck does it have to do? Like I'm trying to get a job. And yeah. then like, as you let the story unfold, you start like, you see the links between this and, your, and the life that you're living and it's crazy and it's so cool. And, um, uh, I do some past life work in, in Journey for clients, but I, I have started trying to coach people in doing past life work for themselves because it brings together really, really, the way I do it brings together some really good skills. One, trusting yourself. Actually trusting and just going along with the information. That is really, I think, the hardest thing with a lot of this stuff. I don't know. Like, personally, I don't, like, I, like, it's just... The terror of just, no, 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 that's not a ghost. You're just crazy. And, like, having to separate that out. For sure, which is why it's a thrill for me. It's literally a thrill to sit to sit with someone and provide them with prompting questions while they're in what is, frankly, a, a fairly light trance state, watching okay. them navigate this and want, you know, watching them learn what I learned and allowed to become extremely natural for me years ago navigate this storyline, engage these characters, and then transform this story that in some way is still happening in their life. That's one skill, their intuition and self-trust. The other one is psychopop work. To me, a well-resolved past life is fully resolved once the original players have been crossed over. So if I was an evil priest at Teotihuacan who raped and pillaged everyone, Sure, I might have to resolve the past life and tell a new story there, but also I need to find that soul and convince him to cross over to oh. really resolve the healing. That, that, that's a, a huge piece to me of past life healing. So in so like I'm not terribly familiar with past life healing, so I, I, I'm, you know, baby questions, baby steps here. The soul of a past life is, it's, it's you, but it can also be moved on. Yeah, so there is someone else, I'm sure, who could be better and speak more clearly to whatever cosmology I'm, I'm hinting at here. But sure, you reincarnate. 
But I think that we're, the majority of us are reincarnating and, and pieces of us are still, like, you know, like the point, there's point zero zero one percent of you that's still in Rome 530 AD. Okay. That's still there. So moving on that soul is bringing that back, that point zero zero one percent of you. You know, oh, result. Okay, that makes. So this might be a bad analogy, but it's sort of like the Jet Li movie, The One, but more serious and important than that. I've seen that. Um, I want to now, though. Okay, so when you're doing this for for someone else, is it is it a question of just sort of of going into the trance, finding the information, and just telling them, or are you sort of holding their hand on a sort of journey through things? Like, what is the what what kind of what is that process like? Well, I do it both ways. Um, <laughs> I do it both ways. Um, I, I I do though. I I, I might be in, <laughs> I might you know if I'm if I'm delivering a journey to someone via you know recording, then when I'm you know it's it's me doing it for someone, there's always some follow-up actions for them to do because to me, like, trance is great and sexy and effective and if it's not grounded in the real world, then fuck it. Okay. So if you know, there's past life resolution work that shows up in a client session, there's always at least one action for that person to take in the real world to solidify this shift. But I haven't actually put on my website yet, but my spirits are, are pushing me to do more path life coaching work. And that would be me holding someone's hand, providing prompting questions and suggestions, you know, hearing them tell the story of a past life energy that needs to be resolved and me holding space for that and helping them get to the other side. And I've done it for a few people and it's been really cool to get the, to get the feedback from them because it's like, okay, I'm no longer a wounded soldier in Vietnam, whatever. And at the end, they're like, you know, it makes sense. They're like, okay, that was cool. But then, like, a few weeks later, they're like, my entire relationship with my family changed. What the fuck? Like, in a good way, you know? Yeah. That's really marvelous. Cool shit. I mean, it sounds like it. Can I ask you, so you you got an MA in um, performance studies at NYU. Mm-hmm. Did that, does that inf- inform your shamanic practice at all? Or any of your really spiritual practices? Because, I mean, like, the idea... I feel like the idea of inhabiting a character or something like that, like in performance, inhabiting the space of a performance and inhabiting a sort of spiritual space, there's, there feel like there are parallels there, but I don't know. Do you find that at all? For sure. I mean, what my academic background allows me to do is talk crazy in a different way. Okay. Um, way that's also really enjoyable and meaty and delicious to me. Um, I love books. I haven't... You know, I, I've been so deep in, like, practice, practice for a while that I haven't had as much fun time to really explore as much academia over the past few years, as much as I'd like to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, performance studies particularly is what I call, um, I mean, for, for, first of all, I'll say this, to me, the political is highly spiritual. Issues of colonization are spiritual. Issues of cultural exchange and interconnection are all really, really spiritual, and, um, Performance studies itself as a field, I, I was a fan of calling it secular queer animism. Because performance studies as a field is pretty much saying that everything is a performer. 
it actually you know short, or it includes actual performance practice in it, but it's much more a weird blend of sociology and anthropology and other and media studies. Uh, and it's this idea that you know this jar is performing on me aesthetically, you know, and what we're yeah. doing, what the history you know, this you know this kind of you know idea that everything is performing on you. And when it hit me, I was like, it's probably about like a few months into the program. I was like, wait, this is just animism. <laughs> and there's just animism with jargon, with crazy jargon. And also, like, you know, there was a, in performance studies, there is a big emphasis on queer theorists and queer writers and queer theory and queer time, which all really ends up just being indigenous cosmology, frankly. But it's, you know, the, the academy is sexy, alas. I myself am seduced. That's really, God, that's so lovely. Actually, since you bring up this idea of, of, of performance studies as queer animism. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned it, before, we brought it up before a little bit, but like the unnamed path, because that is, I believe, the, the, the sort of header is, is shamanism for men who love men. Yeah, I would call it a shamanic witchcraft tradition for men who love men. Eddie is amazing, and I love him, and I miss him a lot, and he was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Okay. And I, you know... Any new tradition is rough. <laughs> Any okay. new tradition is rough. And um, it's a very unique time for all spiritualities, especially, I think, a spirituality that's trying to bring together men from under different cultural backgrounds together to, to heal themselves and possibly be conduits to healers. Uh, I've had some really unique experiences in the tradition. There's a, there is, Eddie's right. There is, a, there are these conduits of energy. You know, there, there absolutely is a conduit of energy that runs through a certain kind of, of man or, or person that I think is a strong link to this tradition, or at least that this tradition can hold space for. To me, what stands out the most about the tradition my experience of it is the idea of the ancestors of men who love men that there is a great bonfire in the underworld that the naked men are all dancing around and they are healthy and they are bright and they are you know waiting to for us to come to them so they can give us medicine and so that we can dance with them it's interesting even as i'm saying this right now having myself not been as engaged with the tradition of a few, of a, in a few years, just thinking about dance and joy as liberatory technology, like liberatory technologies and ideas and yeah. how vital they've been to like oppress and marginalized groups. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you, I recently, do you, uh, oh, please. Sorry. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, I, just, I, I, mean, I recently learned about disco and like where disco went and it was just like, Certain demographics hated the joy. <laughs> they hated the yeah. black and brown and joy, and they needed to kill it. <laughs> you know, there was just too much fucking freedom going on here. And it, yeah, I guess that's interesting. Is you know, sure there are various technologies in the tradition and secret technologies in the tradition, but like really, like um, a mainstay that Eddie was always teaching was there are these men that they're dancing around this bonfire in the underworld. Go dance with them. That's really beautiful. I love that. That kind of reminds me of there's a there's a quote I I I heard from someone who wasn't sure they were getting it right from I think the poet Hafiz 
uh, that's just my God only says four words, come dance with me, which is, I don't know. It's wow. Just, uh, uh, <laughs> do you, do you incorporate dance at all into your, you know, like when you're doing like client work or shamanic work, do you ever get people up and up and moving about or would that hinder the trance or something like that? I prescribe dance action sometimes. I never really, I don't always know whether or not a client is going to do it. I prescribe dance actions, especially when an animal helping spirit has come through because okay. animal helping spirits really want to be embodied. Animals are great because they never have to worry about being themselves. We humans make shit really complicated. Boy, howdy. So when an animal helping spirit, yeah, yeah. So when an animal helping spirit steps forward, what you have is this ally who is not questioning, well, what does it mean to giraffe? Like, no, bitch, be tall. <laughs> yeah. Bitch, see everything. Just, just do it. Like, so, you know, taking in that perspective, you know, we could light candles around pictures of giraffes and chant giraffe and, and hug a giraffe and get a giraffe pelt and all these occult things. <laughs> or we could dance giraffe. We could invite this giraffe energy to move into our bodies and show me where am I being stupid. Where am I? Mm. I, I? Show me the parts of me that are standing in the way. Because it's all embodied. Show me the parts of me that are standing in the way of your medicine. Show me the parts of me that, and you know, and when you're, when you're dancing an animal helping spirit, it's not going to look like it's going to look like you lying on the floor and your hip repeatedly hitting the floor in a really awkward position until that part of you loosens up and then you say, oh, my God, giraffe just moved into me much more easily now. I got rid of that thing. And, okay, you're getting it. There's this embodied wisdom that can come through dance and movement. I, I often share the story of um, one of my helping spirits is a dragonfly. And uh, I, I met him at a workshop that was about meeting one of the spirits in charge of your, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, I didn't expect you to be dragonfly. And, you know, we made masks in the workshop, and I'm dancing the dragonfly. And dragonfly is giving me all this information about itself that I did not know. Like, I checked on Wikipedia later, and I was blown away. Dragonflies are fucking badass predators. Oh, they're like, terrifying. You know, like, they're They're fucking terrifying. I had no idea. And as I'm dancing this dragonfly, this dragonfly says, through my body... Why don't you just take what nourishes you? At the time, I was dealing with such terrible boundaries, such issues of scarcity, and to have that move, if it had said it to me at an altar or shrine, it would have been, like, interesting. But to be dancing this fierce being who yeah. sent that message through my body, I just immediately started fucking weeping. That's amazing. So I often recommend movement for animal helping spirit work as well as shadow work. Um, shadow is another thing that is a heavily embodied issue. It's a heart issue and an embodiment issue. And we tend to make it about the mind and goth clothing. Um, but the shadow parts is really also really the big things. For, for folks who are listening and who don't know what shadow work is, what is, like, what's a good, quick kind of handhold onto the idea of shadow work? To me, shadow work is, well, to me, the shadow is parts of you that you no longer have access to, but they have access to you. And no amount of intentions or conscious ideas, no, 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 you're wrong. If, you know, 
if you think you're, you've got a handle on your shadow, you're wrong. You don't. It has a handle on you. Why? Because these are parts of you that you have sent to your unconscious. Mm. And they need to be, because they're now in the unconscious, they need to be skillfully and cleverly retrieved. And then if you retrieve them, they have to be turned into allies. You have to heal them and then integrate them. If I locked you in a closet for 30 years because I thought, oh my God, like if I have this guy hanging around, like I'll die. Like no one can be this powerful. I can't carry around this, this amount of feminine power in the world. Look what happened to Amelia Earhart. I'll die. No, I'm going to cut this piece off of me, shove it in the closet, right. you know, and now every time I get drunk, twisted Amelia Earhart is like, you're going to say all this evil shit to your friend. You're going to get blasted drunk. You're not going to remember any of it. Can't believe I said all this. That shadow, that shadow. And then if I wouldn't rescue you out of that closet, you wouldn't like me very much, though. And you wouldn't be very pretty. So there's a process of healing and facing the original fear that led you to put it away in the first place. Yeah, um, There's various techniques. Absolutely, a reconciliation. There's various techniques to me that uh, I've been through about three different shadow processes, kinds of shadow processes, and I have my favorites, but I think something that we all need to understand a bit better for sure. I actually forgot how we got onto shadow work just now, and now I, I feel like I've, I've, I've derailed us in the conversation. I was talking about movement. That's how I... I right! Yes, here. movement. And the, and the introduction of animal spirits. So helping spirits... I mean, we've, you've talked about the idea of, you know, plants having spirits, animals having spirits, but then helping spirits are also, do they typically take the forms of, you know, living beings that we would encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, even if, like, I think people might not, you know, think of a, of, a, of a basil plant having sentience, but it does to an extent in this understanding of the world. But, like, is it, does it extend beyond that into, like, a, a whole cosmos of things? Or does it sort of sort of stay in the kingdoms of things we know are alive and can die? Well, I guess helping spirits to me is, is very subjective. It's very subjective and, and personal. To me, you know, some of my, you know, I consider certain deities I work with to be certain, you know, kinds of helping spirit. To me, I have certain animal helping spirits. Some of my ancestors have stepped out of the great ancestral Milu to walk with me as specific helping spirits. So to me, helping spirits are energies that you're working with that are providing perhaps a certain level of guidance. And I have a really weird category in my head where I, that I kind of call like working spirits. Okay. And those are the spirits that I'm putting in front of or, you know, doing, you know, various folk magic or occult practices. And some of those spirits walk that been lying, you know. I can totally be in a deep trance state working on my shit and have, you know, XYZ saint enter and say, hey kid, I'm going to help here. I guess I think of the helping spirit, I think of the energies that are protect, especially helping you with your process. Mm, sort of keeping you safe as you undergo these moments of vulnerability. Keeping you safe for I'll pull this string, but then you have to take this action to really unravel this you know that kind of thing yeah speaking of actions when you when you prescribe a, a client an action after you you work with them what kinds of things are we talking about are we talking about you know making a 
donation or doing some sort of charitable work to help people that represent people who you harmed in a in a past life, or is it something more sort of personal and and kind of you know you have to do this for yourself or to yourself or something like that? Well, everything, most of it's personal. Most of it's personal. I mean, I guess you know at the end of the session, I, I have a, a, a two categories of follow up information. One category is get these specific actions done. You know, you okay. told Hera that you're going to resolve this debt with her by writing a letter, by, by painting a picture about your mom's ancestral line. And that's what she said would resolve the debt that you have with her. You know, you, you, we removed this entity, but there's still a little follow-up work, so you're going to take these seven baths with these ingredients, or you're going to leap over a fire, <laughs> or do a fire ritual. And, you know, there's, there's actions like that and then there's actions like, you know, or spells or things like that. And then there's actions like, we now know that these broad themes are relevant to your life. And I am begging you, practically, to please start finding vehicles for these broad themes. So we know mm -hmm. that you've got these three specific actions you take, throw a stone in the river, blah, 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 blah. But we also know that you're here to be a writer and you have a deep relationship with children. So you, so like, please go find an avenue for that. Go read children's storybooks at story time at the library. Yeah. Start writing a show. Start, you know, start thinking. Don't forget these parts of you that we just remembered. That's really, I love how I love how broad that is and can be. I don't I don't want to keep you for too long because I, I really appreciate the time you're taking to 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 talk about these things. So before. The pleasure is really, it's, it's all mine. This has been a wonderful, revelatory moment. So I want to make sure we get to, before before all this shuts down, if people want to find more about you or maybe get in contact or maybe get one of your one of your wonderful books that you've written, like, where should they go? What should they do? Oh, yeah. Well, my books are on Amazon under Kai, K-H-I, Armand. My website is impactshamanism.com. Impact, I-M-P-A-C-T. I just started a YouTube channel. I'm going to try and keep that going a little bit better than my blog. So yeah, or you can, know, you can always email me at info at impactshamanism.com. And I also am a little too into social media, so you can easily find me on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, your Twitter's great. Big fan of the Twitter. And actually, something you said that I feel like touches on this, that like, you said it, I think, after we set up this interview, and I was just like, oh, this is so great. This is so perfect. Like, it was something like, um, every time you're going through a difficult time in your life, think about, could this be an initiation? Could this be initiating you into something? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, so, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Please, go, go on. Knowing that you're going through an initiatory, I mean, period, is, is, is to me very powerful. You know, coming especially from the root work tradition and, and conjure tradition being, you know, one of my foundations, truly, magically, that's a tradition that's about control. That's a tradition that's about controlling your life, controlling your environment, controlling your circumstances, and overcoming, you know, High John the Conqueror, we're talking about overcoming, you know, and, and given the, the history of the people who have, of black people in America, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it was really uh, a kick in the face when I was encountering things that I could not and that the these practices of of conquering and and, and stopping and, and and thwarting and putting under your foot were, were not going to be helpful for me for and and frankly thank god they wouldn't have been because that would have stopped my growth right. you know there were things i had to endure 
things. There were times where I had to recognize that whoever I am right now is stagnant and is no longer fit for what's next. And various energies in my life are colluding to ensure that I die so I can be something new. And they're, you know, they're, you know, like that's, that's what's happening. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a spirit. It doesn't have to be a mambo or nundan. It's life too. It's, it's your house burned down. It's your parents got divorced. It's you're going through a divorce. It's you're going through a divorce and you're moving. And, and, and really, to me, like you know, you generally know or can know when it's initiatory when it's too many things at once. When it's too many things at once, then you can turn to divination and being like, you know, is it, you know, it's always the question: Am I cursed? And one might be that does not necessarily mean that you're not going through an initiatory period. I've absolutely gone through an initiatory period that included people cursing me as part of, but 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 with the new, not with the knowledge of. But whoever I'm going to be in a few months is not going to be vulnerable to this anymore. So it's sort of like um, an inoculation almost. Yeah. You're becoming, becoming something new. Um, so all good deaths are about. That's a really lovely note. I'd almost want to end it there, but there is something that... Uh, you reminded me of something that I, I want to ask you about, which is um, when we talk about the necessary work that needs to happen to decolonize, honestly, our culture, our, our, our world in, in various ways, what... What role do you think shamanism might be able to play in decolonizing either uh, just magic or magic specifically or like the world at large in general? Well, for one, I think it's necessary that we contact and engage pre-colonial ancestors who have a totally different perspective on how this is supposed to be, on how to move through the world, or what it means to be a human being contacting and engaging them, embodying them, dancing them. Mm. You know, I think that that's big. I think that communal rituals of cleansing and intrusion removal and grieving, you know, colonization, our particular brand of it is so individualistic and so material focused. And it's sad, like, at this point, I get really jaded every time I see some article that's just like obviously so symptomatic just like addiction really is about childhood trauma and if we as a society are going to face this my brain goes obviously we can, we're going to talk about this now because you know white people are being you know becoming addicted to opioids at a level that you know and so there's my there's jade level one jade level two is yeah maybe if you didn't destroy communities and families to begin with, all the loss of connection that leads to addiction. So to me, I think that the ways in which shamanic healing offers us a perspective that's just so at odds with this thing, you know? Like, mm. when someone leaves a session with me, they suddenly remember, oh yeah, I am a writer. I need to go write, I need to go be with writers, I need to go engage in the world in a different way. I think that shamanic healing is constantly asking us engage in the world with the world in a different way and i think that's really what decolonization is about that's that's marvelous do you that's i mean that's so, i think we can end there honestly that's so i mean the lot that, that's that's a really great point for moving forward oh actually wait one last thing one last thing and then i'll i'll, I'll let you go live your life as you've been doing. so let's say i'm 
somebody who's coming to this this interview or this show, I I I don't have a lot of experience. I don't know a lot of things about magic, but I'm curious. I'm interested. I wanna I wanna you know start from level zero and do something right now to either engage with myself spiritually, cleanse something, heal something. Like this is I might be asking too big of a thing from you right now, and that's totally fine. If I say like no no it can't be. But like, what's a what's a small thing? Someone is new. They want to really like put their their toe in the in the warm healing springs of this. What's a quick or even uh, low barrier to entry sort of thing they could try? Sure, go get a glass and go to your sink and pour some water in the glass and go outside and pour the water on the ground and say, "This is an offering." for my helping spirits. This is an offering for the energy that have been supporting me, that have been supporting and protecting me. I might not know your names. I might not know what you look like. I might not know what you like. But this is just a simple libation with a heartfelt thank you for your support. I'm calling you in. I look forward to learning about you pouring water on the ground. Love it. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been a joy, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again soon. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you so much to Chiron. That was such a wonderful conversation. If you'd like to learn more about him and the things he does, you should go to Impact Shamanism. And this has been Witch Hassle. If you want to ever submit a listener question or just get in touch, head on over to cooperwilhelm.com slash witchhassle or the show's Instagram or Twitter accounts, both of which are at witchhassle, or you can go to patreon.com slash witchhassle to submit questions to our research department and also to, you know, support the show if you want to and get yourself a few little fun goodies. Uh, the show is now on iTunes, so if you want to leave a review or some stars there, I th- I'm told that is helpful to shows for being found by potential listeners. So, you know, if you feel inclined, why not? No pressure. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is performed by Sebastian Baverstam and was recorded by Edward Lee. Good luck with the work ahead.